to start you today in a scripture called, in a scripture, Revelation chapter 3. And I want to show you what, um, where we're going with this. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. If you have your Bible, I'm going to read it to you, but if you have your Bible, look it up. Revelation chapter 3, verse 11. Jesus says these words, I am coming soon. Well, I love, I love those words, I am coming soon, right there. But he says, I am coming soon, hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. He says, hold on to what you have so that no one takes your crown. One translation says, hold on to what you've received and let no one take your crown. I want to talk to you about this, about letting no one take your crown. So the fact is, is that if Jesus says to believers to not let anyone take their crown, that means we have a crown. That means we have a crown. He wouldn't tell us to hold on to it unless he gave it to us. So the crown that I'm talking about is a biblical crown. If you look in um, Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 and 5, I want to read this to you as well. But I want everybody to first say this. Say, in the name of Jesus, I am not letting anyone take my crown. I'm holding on. I'm holding on to what I have. And no one takes my crown. Now in Psalm chapter 8, verse 4 and 5, God says, What is man that, David says, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you would visit him? For you have made him, that is mankind, you have made him a little lower than the angels. Now the word angels there, in some translations it says angels, but in the in the original translation of Psalm chapter 8, verse 5, it says, For you have made man a little lower than Elohim. You have made man a little lower than Elohim. Well, Elohim is God. Elohim is God. So God has made us a little lower than him, not lower than the angels. We're higher than the angels. We are made in God's image. We're, we're made just like him. If you've been born again, you've been restored to the full glory in your spirit of who, of who man was before man sinned. Before Adam and Eve sinned, that pre-Adam condition is who you are right now. Because you've been born again as, through the second Adam. So the first Adam comes and he screws it all up. And the second Adam comes and he fixes it all. And he gives it to us. So just as God gave authority to Adam and Eve in the garden, but they bowed their knee to the devil, to the devil then Jesus comes along and defeats the devil. It wasn't a real hard battle either. Jesus, it was a two-hit fight. Jesus hit the devil, and the devil hit the ground. <laughs> right? <laughs> in other words, we're not, we don't have to try to defeat the devil. He's been defeated. The way that he works in our lives is with thoughts that are contrary to God's word. Thoughts of inferiority, thoughts of fear, thoughts of insecurity, thoughts of we're not enough, we're, we, we don't have enough, we're, we, we, don't, we aren't enough, we're not enough for the task at hand, we're not enough, I can't be great, I can't be this, I can't be that. that that's, how, that's how Satan operates. He doesn't have any legal right to operate in your life anymore because Jesus stripped him of his authority and then, so follow this chain. God gives his authority to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve give their authority to the devil by bowing their knee to him. 
So the devil becomes the, quote, God of this world with the little g. He becomes, he gets what Adam and Eve had. God gives, their, God gives his authority to Adam. Adam gives his authority to the devil. Then Jesus comes and pays for our sins and takes the authority back. And he says, for I am alive and I am and I have the keys of hell and death now, right? I'm the Alpha and Omega, and I hold the keys of hell and death. So now, watch the, watch the chain now. God gives the authority to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve bow their knee to the devil, so they give their authority to the devil. Then Jesus comes and takes all the authority back from the devil by paying for that authority with his own blood. An innocent man becomes guilty, takes our guilt so that guilty men can take his innocence. Come on, innocence. Somebody's got to say amen. Somebody's got to say amen here today. <laughs> so God gives his authority. you got to see this. God gives his authority to, to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve give their authority to the devil. The, then Jesus comes back and takes the authority back by paying for it with his own blood. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I hold the keys of hell and death, Revelation chapter 1, verse 18. And then he says to us, I give you authority. Now you have the authority to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to prophesy. He said, go in my name. Behold, I give you authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you or harm you. He said, I give, Luke 10, 19 says, Jesus said, I give you authority. So notice, God gives it to, to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve give it to the devil. The devil has to turn it back into the original rightful owner, Jesus, and then Jesus gives it to you, and Jesus gives it to me, and now we have the authority that Adam and Eve had when he said, uh, fill the earth, subdue the earth, rule the earth, rule over everything. God has given us that dominion back. God has given us that authority back through Jesus Christ. We now are able to walk in authority and speak to the mountain and it'll obey. Speak to the valley and, it'll, and, and the bones will come to life. To speak to our checkbook, checking account, and that it will increase. To speak to our bodies to be healed. To speak in, into this earth revival. To see the devil wants to keep us quiet. The devil wants to shut us up because he knows we have that authority. He just doesn't want you to know that you have the authority. And that's why I came here to tell you, let no one take your crown. Let no one take your crown. Let no one take your crown. Listen, there is a, there's a crown that every one of us has. And you know what? That crown represents three things. The crown that Jesus is talking about here, it represents the crown of our royalty. It's, it is the crown of our royalty. It is the crown of our authority. And it is the crown of our prosperity. It is the crown of all three of those things. In other words, God has crowned us. God has crowned us. So I want to finish that verse in Psalm chapter 8. What is man that you should be mindful of him and the son of man that you should visit him? For you have made him a little lower than Elohim and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have crowned him with glory and honor. God crowned mankind with glory and with honor. Now, I need you to hear this. 
The crown represents your royalty, your authority, and your prosperity. Everybody say that. The crown that I wear represents my royalty, my authority, and my prosperity. All right. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Does anybody know what it says? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short. Now, if you study that word short, it means to be inferior, to be inferior. So all have sinned and fallen short, or they become inferior to the glory of God. Now, the glory of God means the glory is for us to be everything God created us to be. That's what the word glory means, to be everything. Because, you know, we use these words, glory to God and glory and glory, hallelujah. And we, come, we, we, we turn powerful words into just religious jargon. We turn powerful words sometimes into just meaningless repetition. And if we really understood the glory of God means to be all that we were intended to be. So when God created Adam and Eve, he crowned them with glory. In other words, they were created, they were made by God just as he intended them to be. And then they lost that glory. They lost and became something inferior to what they originally were. And what we need to understand is that we all of that that Adam and Eve lost has been given back to us through Jesus Christ. It's not given back to us because we earn it. It's not given back to us because we, we deserve it. It's not given back to us because we trade something for it. It's given back to us because Jesus paid the full price for it, which should awaken you to how important you are. Because Jesus did not die for trash. When he died on the cross, he didn't die for trash. He didn't say, I'll take that trash and I'll turn it into something. No, he died for what was valuable. God, if I could get this across to you, like what we, need, what we need here is a revelation of all that is ours and all that belongs to us. And you need to understand how valuable you are, that you have so much worth. Because I think the devil works really hard to get us to question how important we are, how significant we are, how powerful we are. But, you know, Jesus is the best businessman that's ever lived. Think about it. He gets fish. He gets a coin out of a fish. Peter, hey, go, go put your line in the water, and the first fish you catch, there'll be a coin in his mouth. Pay for your taxes and mine. Because Jesus is like, hey, I, you got to do your part, Peter, and I'll and Jesus turns five, five loaves and two fish into feeding. Jesus is the best businessman in the world, right? God is smart. And God knows, God knows God would not pay for something that wasn't worth what he paid for. See, you got to understand this because most of us, at least in America, most of the church has this mistaken belief that, um, that they're inferior. Most, most Christians have this mistaken belief that I'm not worth that much. And religion tells us to feel unworthy. Religion tells us to be, oh, I don't deserve it. I'm, no, I'm not worthy. 
But I want you to understand, Jesus is not stupid. If he could have saved us with the blood of a, of, a, of a calf or the blood of a sheep, if he could have saved us with the blood of a sheep, he would have. If he could have saved us by paying the devil all the silver and all the gold in the earth, he would have. If he could have bought us for a lesser price, he would have. But he couldn't because you're worth more than those things. Do you understand now? You have so much worth and so much value that God paid for you with the exact price that it would cost. He established, he, he figured out what you were worth, and then he bought you for the exact price that you were worth. The blood of Jesus. So the blood of Jesus didn't make you worthy. The blood of Jesus was paid for you to reveal your worth. To reveal. To reveal. To reveal how valuable you are. Sorry, I got to take, if I'm going to be up here an hour and a half, it's going to, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so let me just, I mean, I got so much more to get to, but, I, but while I'm talking about this subject, I have in my pocket a hundred rubles, is it? What is it? Lira? Oh, okay. Awesome. I got a hundred lira in my hand. How much, how many lira is this bill worth? It's not a trick question. I gave you, okay, how much is this worth? Uh, some of you in the back, you're not sure. How much is this worth? It's 100 lira, right? Is this 100 lira? Here, feel that. Is that 100 lira? Okay, look at that. Is that 100 lira? Okay, good. Is that one? Don't try to take it. Is that one? <laughs> I saw that coming. No, that's <laughs> All right. So, so, so everybody, how much is this worth? 100. All right. Are you sure? Okay. Now, now watch this. Just pretend I spit on it. Ah. Now how much? Now how much is it worth? <laughs> exactly. Still the same. No matter how life has crushed you. No matter how life has beat you. No matter how you got here into this earth, no matter abuse, abused growing up, or no matter if you were addicted, no matter if you uh, have been taken advantage of, if you've lost everything you've had, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter how crumbled you've been, no matter how stepped on that you've been, no matter how devastated you've been, you're still worth the same. And nobody, and nobody, nobody can make you feel inferior unless you give them permission to. Nobody can make you feel inferior unless you give them permission to. 
Let no one take your crown. Let no one take your crown. I'm going to say that a few times today, so get used to it. Let no one take your crown. Let no one take your crown. This crown represents your royalty. I'll get to that. Your authority and your prosperity. And where does the crown sit? Where on, where on the body does the crown go? On the head. On the head. This is significant. When Jesus said, let no one take your crown, the crown is on the head. And the reason that the crown goes on the head is it's telling us something significant, and that is our brain, our head, our thought life, how we think is, needs, needs to control everything. How we think controls everything. And so what we need is our thinking needs to be permeated with this royalty mentality. The crown is to help you understand the kind of authority that you have, and it's got it's to permeate. It's got to get into you, into our thick heads, that we are royalty. Into our thick heads that we have authority. Into our thick heads that crown has got to permeate so that it pierces into your brain. Jesus took a crown of thorns. They took a crown of thorns and they pierced his head and his brow with these thick, it wasn't just some little small little thorn on a rose bush. It was thick, sharp thorns that could pierce through his skin and, his, and the, you know, the, the several layers of his head. And it went into, it went into his brain, into his head, and touched his blood until blood flowed. And what we need to get in our thinking, if this makes sense, it needs to get, we need to get, we need to awaken to the fact that the blood of Jesus has given us royalty, authority, prosperity, and dignity. The, it's got to get into our brain that we have been blood-bought, that we have the same authority in this life that Jesus had when he was on this earth. Not a little less than, the same as, the same as. So what does the devil do? Well, you don't deserve that. You, you blew it. You sinned yesterday, so you don't have that same authority. No sin that you could ever commit robs you of your authority. It makes your heart condemn itself, but it doesn't even cause God to condemn you because your sins were all paid for before you ever did them. Before you ever, you only received it when you got saved, but it was already purchased for you 2,000 years ago on the cross. You only received it when you got born again, but it was accomplished when Jesus said it is finished. Okay? So don't let the devil talk you out of your authority, your royalty, your dignity, your prosperity. These are what it means to be crowned and let no one take your crown. The crown needs to permeate our thinking. Our thinking needs to be permeated by what the crown represents. It's a mentality that should be the lens from which we view everything else in life. The reality of our crown. It could be called the victor's crown. 
It's a mindset, though. We have to have a mindset that we are in charge, that when viruses are going around the world, that we're stopping them at us. And we're saying, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. No evil shall befall me. No plague will come near my tent. Now, I'm, I'm a pretty controversial preacher because I say things that are sometimes people take them the wrong way, but everybody is controversial when you think about it. But um, I could say this to you, that um, your authority and your, your protection, we quote Psalm 91, Right? He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High. Well, we've probably been taught by religion, not, not by your pastor or by this church, but religion has permeated many Christians' mindsets about the secret place. So I did a study on this secret place. He who dwells in Psalm 91, verse 1, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty whose power no foe can withstand. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge, my fortress, my God, and him will I trust, right? So the secret place, he who dwells in the secret place. Well, is that our prayer closet? Because you'll have to stay there the rest of your life if that's the secret place. If the secret place is a place of prayer, I'm all for prayer, but I believe when we pray, we believe we receive it and we move forward. Right? We believe we receive it and we move on with our lives. But if the secret place, so where is the secret place? Is it in the presence of God? Is it in the secret place? Where, what is the secret place? Well, we have to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where Jesus really reveals it when he says, had the rulers of the world known what they were doing, where Paul says this, if the, if the rulers of this world, if the devil would have known what he was doing, he would have never crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, if the devil knew that crucifying Jesus was going to give birth to millions of Jesuses, right? Millions of Jesuses. We're the body of Christ. We're, we're, as he is, so are we in this world, right? So if the devil would have known that, he would have never been like, no, no, live all you want. I don't want to kill you because if I kill you, we're going to have more of you. And now the devil got what, exactly what Jesus, it's sort of like God hid, in the, he hid the crucifixion from the devil. The devil thought and Rome thought and Pontius Pilate thought and Herod thought and the Pharisees thought, we're getting rid of this Jesus by crucifying him. We're getting rid of him. What they didn't realize is they, were, they weren't burying him for, for, for the rest of eternity, they were burying him so that he could come back up with a harvest. They were causing a harvest to come by burying the Son of God. Whatever you bury, it's going to grow up and multiply. You plant, bury a little carrot seed, it's going to produce all these carrots. Tomato seed is going to produce all these tomatoes. Hey, watermelon, whatever you got, whatever you want, cantaloupe, whatever you plant, it's going to produce all these harvests. One apple seed can turn into a whole apple orchard. So when Jesus went into the ground, the perfect seed came out, but he didn't come out alone. The Bible says we were buried with him. And then it says we were raised up with him. And then it says 
we were seated with him in heavenly places, far above all rule, far above all authority. I wish Christians would understand who the heck they really are. We've been buried with him. We died with him. You know, the idea that the concept of self-denial is really a misunderstanding by so many Christians. Denying self doesn't mean you have to skip having ice cream. (laughs) Denying self. Like, we bought the idea that denying self is just giving up things. Yeah, it is giving up things. You know what it's giving up? It's giving up your old identity. It's giving up the lies about who you are. If you want to deny yourself, deny yourself from being in control of your life and allow the new you, the new spirit that God created in his image, the born-again you, the baptized in the Holy Spirit you, allow you to rule your life rather than your old way of thinking to rule your life. Because the flesh, when the Bible talks about crucifying your flesh, the flesh is a way of thinking. It's a way of thinking because Jesus said, my words, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus said, my words, they are spirit and they are life. And what's contrary to the spirit is the flesh. So if God, if Jesus said, my words are spirit and life. So if his words are spirit and life, guess what the flesh is? The flesh is any words that are contrary to Jesus' words. Jesus' words are the spirit and therefore, any words contrary to what God says about you, that's the flesh. See, we thought the flesh, growing up years ago, we thought the flesh was eating too much. We thought the flesh was watching something bad on TV. Now, you need to make good choices, but that's not what the flesh is. The flesh is corrupted mindsets and corrupted mentalities of limitation and pain that prohibits you and they stop you from expanding God's destiny in your life and they make you settle. The flesh is this mentality that makes you settle as a defeated Christian rather than more than a conqueror the way God intended you to be. The flesh isn't, doesn't have anything to do with your diet. The flesh has to do with the way you think. You think like a defeated person, then you're going to live like a defeated person. Meanwhile, your crown is just sitting there, and you sort of put it, you know, in the back of your car, or you put it somewhere in the house, in your garage, or you put it somewhere where, you know, you don't even real, you're not even using it, but it's still your crown. And you know what you did? You let ignorance take your crown. Because you lack the knowledge of how powerful you are. The Bible says in John 1, verse 12, to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become sons of God, sons and daughters of God. To as many as received, what gives you the right to be a son of, or daughter of God? As many as received him. Have you received him? Who's received Jesus here? If you received him, then you have the right, the rights of the sons and daughters of God. I made this statement a few years ago 
and I repeat it all the time, and hopefully it sticks with you, because the opposite of inferiority is not superiority. The opposite of inferiority is royalty. Superiority, which is dominating other people, thinking you're better than other people, that's a spirit of superiority. Superiority does not destroy inferiority. So we, like, sometimes the devil gets us to think, well, if I'm just, if I'm better than that person, I'll feel better about myself. And sometimes we pull people down so we'll feel better of ourselves or we try to, you know, we try to pretend like we're something more so that we'll feel better as we compare ourselves to other people. But that doesn't solve the problem. Superiority does not destroy inferiority. Listen, superiority does not destroy inferiority. Like there have been many people, many, um, many movements that, tried to, that, that have tried to kill people that they thought were inferior. So Hitler tries to kill the Jews, tries to kill other Christians. Um, the, the, there's, throughout history, you understand that there have been people that thought they were superior to everybody else, and therefore they tried to subjugate and dominate. And where did they learn that from? They learned that from the devil, not from God, because superiority does not destroy inferiority. Royalty destroys inferiority. Royalty destroys inferiority. Royalty, royalty, royalty. We have to get a revelation of our royalty. We have to get an understanding that we're royal. We're kings and priests. We're kings and priests. We are all kings and priests. Who do you think Jesus is the king of? He's the king of kings. That doesn't mean he's the king of, of King Abdullah or King this person. Or he's not <laughs> that's, not, that's not what he's talking about. The fact that Jesus is the king of kings, we are the kings that he's the king of. And the sooner you get a hold of that, of your royalty... Your crown, the sooner you're going to start ruling and reigning in this life. Ruling and reigning over fear. Ruling and reigning over sickness. Ruling and reigning over anxiety. Ruling and reigning over addictions. Ruling and reigning over, over the devil's lies. Ruling and reigning. Ruling and reigning in this earth as a king. You know, there, you, you're from Africa. Some of you guys are from Africa. You, you, you know that, like in my church, I got several people that have, that have come up to me and say, you know, I'm, I'm a queen. And I'm like, what? I've had people, well, in, in, my, in my village, I'm the queen of that village. Or I'm the king of that village. I mean, there's a lot of, I don't know if that's, how you, if that's how they're called, but at least they've been telling me that. They've been telling me so they can get a closer seat in the, at the church. So I'm a king. Can I have a closer seat? I'm just kidding. But my point is, is that in this earth, we understand royalty. Everybody's glued on, you know, the the. The royal girl that, uh, you know, the, 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 the prince and the girl that decided they, they don't want their royalty anymore. I, I don't even know their names because I'm thinking about you as royalty, not them. <laughs> but the world is glued to the news. Whenever there was something about Prince Harry, whenever there was something about this other prince, whenever there was news about 
the Lady Diane years ago, Lady Di like everybody was so glued to all of that. Why? Because they're royalty. Because they're royalty. Guess what you are? Royalty. Royalty. This is what destroys your mentality of feeling inferior. Well, I'm inferior because I'm a woman. I'm inferior because I'm black. I'm inferior because I'm brown. I'm inferior because I'm old. I'm inferior because I'm young. I'm inferior because I'm from this nation. I'm inferior. Stop it. There is no inferiority in a child of God. There's royalty. You are, that doesn't mean we are arrogant, but we are royal. And we've been beaten down with lies. You're not good enough. You don't have enough. You can't do enough. You'll never please God enough. Lies. All of them are lies. To rob you of your crown. Let no one take your crown. Say it back to me. Let no one take your crown. So from now on, if I say that, I want you to repeat it back, all right? Next time you hear me say it, just repeat it back. Interrupt me. I don't care. So, so listen. Eleanor Roosevelt the wife of Franklin Roosevelt, one of the great presidents in America. I'm sorry, excuse me. I just don't know why my mouth is so dry. All right. <laughs> Preaching. All right. She said, no one can make you feel inferior without your permission. So it all starts in your thinking. You may hear a voice tell you today, you'll never break out of your limitation. You'll never get that promotion. You'll never overcome that sickness. You'll never be greater than your parents. You'll never break out of this, this rut that you've been in. You'll never overcome. You'll never finish the race. You'll never get the promotion. You'll never have more money. You'll, only, you'll have more month than money. You'll run out of money before you run out of month. Anybody, <laughs> anybody ever have that happen to you? And so the lies of the devil are telling you, you're not going to break out. You're not going to have. But listen, you got a royal thinking has to talk back. you got to adopt royal thinking. And royal thinking says, no, in the name of Jesus, I have more than enough because I'm a child of the king. I have more than enough because I'm too a king. I'm a priest. I'm somebody who rules and reigns with Christ. Therefore, I will have enough. All the blessings of God are available to me because all blessing is in a spiritual place. You have been given all blessings. He hath given us all blessings in Christ Jesus, and we need to act like that and have royalty mentality. Royalty mentality. Royalty mentality. Let no one take your crown. Oh, we're getting good. We're going to have this down by, by 2 o'clock. Let no one take your crown. All right, listen now. Listen, watch this. So, or, or you'll hear these thoughts that say, oh, you're less than others. People always minimize you. You're insignificant. You're not going to amount to much. You couldn't write a book. You couldn't be a speaker. You couldn't have a great business. You couldn't do that. Look at your parents. They didn't make it any farther than you. What makes you think you're going to make it? And you hear all these thoughts, and you gotta, you got to talk back. We have to start talking back to these thoughts. Our words are more powerful than our thoughts. And we have to start talking back to those thoughts of inferiority. Let me give you an example of that, how powerful your words are. Watch this. I want, I want you to do something silently in your head for a moment. Silently in your head, I want you to count to ten. When I say go, I didn't say go yet, but silently, <laughs> silently in your head, I'm going to ask you to count to ten and just do whatever I say. 
just for a second, just do what I say. On the count of three, I want you to start counting to ten silently. Don't say it out loud silently. One, two, three, go. Now say your name out loud. What happened when you said your name out loud? You stopped counting. You stopped counting. You stopped counting. Why? Because your words have authority over your thoughts. So when you hear all this chatter in your head, you're not pretty enough, you're not holy enough, you're not godly enough, you're not rich enough, you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, you're not this enough, you're not that enough. Silence those thoughts with royal speaking. I am a child blood-bought by the child. I'm a blood-bought child of God. I walk in the power of God. I'm a devil-stomping, earth-taking dominion over child of God that doesn't have to bow my knee down the head and not the tail, above only and not beneath. I'm blessed coming in, blessed going out. I'm blessed in the city, blessed in the field. The blessing of God is upon me. Jesus became a curse for me so that I could walk in the blessing of God. I am blessed above all else. I am blessed as he is blessed. The blessing of God is in my life. It's been bought by the blood of Jesus. I got the DNA of greatness inside of me. Greater is he that's in me than he's in the world. Woo! You see, you you can talk yourself happy. Woo! Listen, if we have this crown, if, we're, if we have this crown, why are, we, why are we being defeated? If we have this crown, why are we walking? Why are we accepting viruses? If we have this crown, kings don't. Kings rule over. We rule over life. We're spiritual kings. And spiritual authority is higher than natural authority. So, yeah, a virus has authority to pass from one human being to another. But that virus does not have the authority to cross the bloodline. The bloodline. The bloodline. What is the secret place? It's the blood. The secret place is the blood. It's the blood. If the devil would have known the blood was going to make us sons and daughters of God, he never would have tried to crucify Jesus. The secret place of Psalm 91 is not because you went in a prayer closet and prayed for an hour. Because how would you know that an hour would be enough? What if, I mean, what if you really needed two hours that day to stay in the secret place? And you really screwed up the other day, and so you need three hours in the secret place. And we start making all these promises to God. I'm, I promise I'm going to pray more. I promise I'm going to do more. We have to stop basing our Christian life on the promises we make to God, and we have to start basing our Christian life on the promises he makes to us. <laughs> Ishmael is, the, is Abraham and Sarah's promise. To God. Isaac is God's promise to them. And what we have to wake up to the fact that when God said to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, at the time he wasn't even a father of a child. He wasn't even the father of a dog. He wasn't the father of anything. 
He had nothing, nobody. I declare over you, you are a father. And over you all, let's, yeah, let's prophesy. I declare over you, your fathers and mothers of nations. This is beautiful. This church is international. All the different countries that are in this church is for a reason. Because you're called to be fathers and mothers to people from your own culture and your nation and bring them into this church that is the unity and diversity, but is still unity. We have unity with diversity. But when God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a son through Sarah, he wasn't, it's like, he wasn't saying, okay, I'm going to give you a son through Sarah, so you better do something for me and jump through some hoops so that I can give you that son. No. How, how many love Christmas? Okay, three of us. All right, what's the matter with the rest of you? Christmas is awesome. How many... At Christmas, when you're a little kid and you, you just discovered there is no Santa Claus, so what do you do? You ask your parents, hey, I'd really love to have this for Christmas. Or your parents might ask when you're, you know, you get to be about 8, 9, 10 years old, your parent might ask you, hey, you what, what do you really want for Christmas? Like you don't want to buy stuff that they're not going to use. So now we ask our kids, right, what do you want for Christmas? And when... They say, oh, this and that, no problem. I promise you on Christmas, you're going to have this gift that you wanted. Is that promise a challenge to my child to be worthy of that gift? Or is my promise an announcement of what I've already made up my mind to do? You see? A parent promising a child a certain gift, a cell phone, a computer, whatever, it's not a challenge to the kid. You better be good. It's an announcement. Christmas, we're giving you this gift. And the only thing that has to happen is you just got to, and what do we do when we were little kids? We'd wake up with expectation. Like when you were a kid, like you remember ever waking, like I remember being eight or nine years old and I was so excited about what I might get for Christmas because I forgot I'll, my life, you know, my family was, it was a difficult upbringing like many of you might have had a difficult upbringing. But on Christmas, there was this confidence and there was this excitement that as soon as I get up, I'm going to go find my gift under that tree with my name on it. I didn't have to earn it. I didn't have to work 40 hours for it. I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to be nailed to a tree for it. Jesus was nailed to the tree so that he could bring all his gifts and set them under the tree. And so what really God is saying to us is the Christian life should be a life of discovering all the promises that he has made to us. A life of unpacking and unwrapping that's the fun part. You unwrap, you unpack to see what's inside. Man, that's what the Bible is. It's, the Bible is a book of gifts. It's the book of, of gift after gift after gift. In Romans chapter 8, 32, the Bible says, How he who did not withhold his own son, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? Am I in the right church here today? 
listen to for a moment. I want you to hear this again. That Chris, a Christmas present made by a parent to a kid is not a challenge to the, for the kid to pray enough, read enough, study enough, abstain enough, be holy enough. It's not a challenge. God's promises are not a challenge where God's saying, if you do this, I'll give you this. God's promises are an announcement of what he's already said yes to. I wonder which promises, hmm, I wonder which, maybe not all the promises, I wonder which promises God has said yes to. Oh, 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, all of them, all the promises of God are yes. How many of the promises of God are yes? All of his promises are yes. God's part is to pay, make the promise, pay for the promise, and give the promise. Our part is to say amen. He said, he said all the promises of God are yes, and with us is the amen. The word amen means to agree with. It means so be it. It means let it be. Let it happen. So be it. If you, would, if you would grab a hold of that, you'd stop trying to make promises to God that you end up breaking anyway. And you would start living on the promises that he's made. Let me tell you, let me explain better how, how, what I'm trying to say. Look for a moment at some of the things that God says about you. Deuteronomy 28, 13, I already said it. You shall be the head and not the tail. Ephesians 2, 6, we're raised up with him and seated with Christ in heavenly places. In Psalm 103, verse 4, it says he redeems our life from the pit and crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. He crowns us. In, in Isaiah 62, verse 3, you are, crowned, you are given a crown of beauty by the hand of the Lord. You see, the mentality that is defeating us in our lives, the mentality that is crippling us in our, in our lives is this failure to understand our sonship, our sonship. We're sons and daughters of God, and we have the rights. Like if we just went through the scripture in Romans chapter 5, let me read this to you, Romans chapter 5, verse 17. You know the scripture very well, I'm sure. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 and particularly the second part of this verse, it says, through the abundance of grace, because one man died, sin reigned, one man rose, and grace reigned. Now grace reigns. But he said, through the abundance of grace, through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, we reign in life. So if we're not reigning in life, it must be because we don't understand the abundance of grace or we don't understand the gift of righteousness. It's not, we don't, it's not because we don't have the authority. It's because we don't understand our authority. Let me give you an example of the abundance of grace. How many have ever, like, when I was a little kid, I had a sister, and her favorite doll was called Barbie. Anybody remember a Barbie doll? Okay, so the Barbie doll, the fir at first, when Barbie doll came out, 
I, I think the, the doll is, I don't think they even sell, I think Barbie died. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but when I was a kid, so they had these Barbie dolls, but they had all these accessories with the Barbie. So Barbie had a boyfriend named Ken, okay? And he came along after a little while because everybody was buying the Barbies, and then they're like, what, what's next? Well, she's got to have a boyfriend, so they make Ken. And then, you know, it's like Barbie, then Barbie has a swimsuit outfit, and Barbie at the pool, and Barbie at the park, and Barbie at a picnic, and Barbie at a wedding, and you got all these different accessories that go, that go with Barbie. And so one day, a man was going home from work, and his daughter's birthday was, was, was that day, and he forgot until the end of the day. So on his way home from work, he stopped at a little toy, toy shop, and there was this window and all these Barbie dolls in the window. And, you know, Ken's in there, and Barbie's in there, and all the stuff is in there. And so he goes and looks in the window, and the manager said, what are you, you looking for a Barbie doll? He's like, yeah. He said, well, this one, how come it's, he's, all these Barbie dolls were $19.99? So Barbie goes to the picnic, $19.99. Barbie goes to a barbecue, $19.99. Barbie goes to a wedding, $19.99. And then divorce Barbie was in the window, and divorce Barbie was $499.99. So the guy says to the manager, how come all these Barbies are $19.99, but divorce Barbie is $499.99? And the manager said, oh, that's easy, because divorce Barbie comes with Ken's house, Ken's car, Ken's <laughs> boat, Ken's family room, Ken's furniture, Ken's stock market investment. <laughs> that's what you call the abundance of grace the abundance of grace. Because when you get Jesus, you get his power, you get his authority, you get his wisdom, you get his spirit, you get his armor, you get his thinking, you get his promises, you get his prosperity, you get his abundance, you get everything with Jesus. Abundance of grace. Abundance of grace. And the gift of righteousness is just that. It's the gift. We don't become righteous through something we do, we become righteous because he became sin and we became righteous. He became sin, we became right. The great exchange, he became sin, we became righteous. He, he, took his stri he took our stripes, we take his healing. He took the curse, became a curse, we get the blessing. It's a great exchange. Great exchange. All that, all that, all that we do is receive. You can't give what you haven't received. That's why the old covenant, another controversial one here, ready? The old covenant, under the old covenant, Jesus said, when he said, if you don't forgive your brother, your heavenly father can't forgive you. He's talking to Jewish people. He's talking under the law. Under the law, you had to forgive in order to be forgiven. But under grace, Colossians 3.12 says, forgive others just as you've been forgiven in Christ. So it's the reversed. Because if, if you believe, see, you say, well, isn't, didn't everything Jesus say 
Isn't that the word of God? It is the word of God. And without Jesus, yes, you would have to forgive others in order to be forgiven. You had to earn your forgiveness outside of Jesus. But in Christ, we don't have to earn our forgiveness. We're immediately forgiven, and we can therefore give what we've received. Freely you've received, Jesus said, therefore freely give. Okay? All right. Now, let me try to package this together in the last uh, segment here. Go over with me to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse... Um, we're going to start in verse 1, or verse 4. John to the seven churches. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. Let's look there together. Revelation chapter 1, verse 4. John to the seven churches, which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and verse six, and has made us kings and priests to his God and father, to him be glory, dominion forever and ever. Amen. Notice what he says when he describes God. To him, or Jesus, to him who loved us. The first thing he says, to him who loved us and washed us and made us kings and priests. I want you to, I want you to think of these three things. It says, to him that loved us and to him that washed us and to him that made us kings and priests. That breaks down for you what God feels for you to him that loved us. Then what God did for you, he washed us. And then what God made out of you, a king and a priest. How he feels about you, he loved us. What he did for you, he washed us. What he made of us, he made us kings and priests. What did he do for us? Or what did, how did he feel for us? Love. What did he do for us? Washed. What did he make of us? Kings and priests. How does he feel about you? Loved. What has he done for you? Washed. What has he made of you? Keep going. How does he feel for you? What has he done for you? What has he made of you? You learn through repetition. What, is he, what does he feel for you? What has he done for you? What has he made of you? What does he feel for you? What has he done for you? What has he made of you? What does he feel for you? What has he done for you? What has he made of you? In that order. In that order. In that order. He does not love what is washed. Here, Lord, I brought this clean life to you. <laughs> Sorry, not acceptable. Here, Lord, I brought Jesus to you. Acceptable. He does not love what is washed. He washes what he loves. He washes what he loves. You know, when you get an, anybody ever had a new car? 
when you get a new car, you love that car. You wash it every day. It's not even dirty. And you're out there, you know, shining it, buffing it. But you know what? In a few weeks, and by the way, when you first buy it, it's got this new, new car smell. And then at least where I'm from, then they have these air fresheners that are like new car. You hang it on the rearview mirror, and it's called new car scent. But that's the only part of it that smells new. After a few weeks or months, your car is not like you don't, you don't feel for it as much. Like that, it, it wore off. It's kind of like when you're married. The honeymoon is amazing. The first, hey, uh-oh, uh, the first few months are amazing. Then it's like uh, when you're first married, when you're first married and, you're, and, you, and, and then your spouse sneezes, when you're first married, and your, sp- and your husband or wife sneezes, you're like, oh, baby, let me, t- let me get some Kleenex. Let me blow your nose for you. I'm so sorry. All you have is a sneeze. But after the first year or two of marriage, they, the same husband or wife sneezes, and you're like, you know, the, you know there's some Kleenex over there. <laughs> and then after you've been married, like, for 20, for 10 or 20 or 30 years, and, and your, sp- your husband sneezes or coughs, <laughs> you're like, what is the matter with you? Can't you cover your darn mouth? You're going to give me the disease, man. Stay away. <laughs> it's really sad, isn't it? <laughs> you have to fight against that if you're married. But when you first are in love with something, you treat it so special. But this is how God feels about you all the time. All the time. Malachi 1 verse 2 says, in the New Living Translation, he says, I have always loved you. I have always loved you. In tying this together, I want you to see, and I'm going to give you three final points today in this session. We have to take this verse and realize he loved us. How does he feel for us? He loves us. How does he, what did he do for us? He washed us. What did he make of us? Kings and priests, right? So listen. To live the life of no one taking your crown, I want you to think of these three things. Number one, we need to live from the throne. We need to live from the throne. If there is a single truth about redemption, it must be this, that we are all in Christ and the finished work of Christ is enough. We need to live from his throne. We need to live from a position of seated with him in heavenly places. We need to live from the throne where we rule and reign. We need to live from the throne where we dictate to the devil to move. We need to live from the throne where we speak the word And angels go to work on our behalf. We live from the throne. We live from a position of authority. We live from a position that we already have it. It's ours already in Christ. So we must live from the throne. That every day we get up, 
we, we are ruling and reigning from the throne of God. We are at his right hand with Jesus, seated with him in heavenly places. We're not way over in the back somewhere. We're seated with him in heavenly places. You know, it's funny that in everywhere you go, whether it's when you grow up in school or go to work, there's always a seating assignment. When I was a little kid, there'd be a seating assignment. You're supposed to sit in this chair over here every day. There's a seating assignment in the world. There's a seating assignment at a wedding. Everybody goes to a reception, and there's a little table with your name on it. That's the seating assignment. That's where you're supposed to sit. But in, in Christ, nobody understands really their seating assignment. We need to understand we have been assigned a seat with him in heavenly places, and we need to wake up every day knowing that we are in authority. We need to wake up every day with an attitude that I'm ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ, and I am living from the throne. I'm living from the perspective that I'm seated with him. So that every day your feet hit the ground out of your bed, the devil says, oh, blankety blank, he's up again. It's living from the throne. It's, we're not trying to work and battle our way into the throne room. The blood of Jesus brings us there. The entire message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has conquered every enemy and won every battle. And if we are in him, those victories are ours. The victory is ours. We're not living for the victory. We're living from the victory. From the victory. Say, man, I really got to get, get the victory over this sickness. No, you already have the victory over this sickness. Now speak it out of your mouth. You already have abundance. Man, if I could get the victory over my finances. You already have the victory over your finances. Start speaking it out. Well, if I could just have, get victory over this fear, if I could just one day get victory over this anxiety, you already have authority. Now speak it out, pray it out, take it to God, cast it on him. And he said the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. So, man, we have to live from a place of victory. We're not, we're not praying for victory. We're praying from victory. I have authority over this thing. In Jesus' name, I command this to change. I command this to do this. I command this mountain to move, whatever it is. We live from the throne. Everybody say, live from the throne. Secondly, we need to live at the throne. We need to live at the throne. What does that mean, to live at the throne? Well, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, let us draw near. And he says, we can go to the throne room of his grace, the throne of his grace, the throne of his grace, and receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. We need to live from the throne, and we need to live at the throne. Like we should be there all the time at the throne of grace. If you blow it, go to the throne of grace for mercy. If you need something, go to the throne of grace for grace. He said you'll obtain mercy and find grace to help in your time of need. You need help? Go to the throne of grace. Let's live at that throne. Let's not think that going to the throne of God is something we can only do, you know, when it's really important. Go to him about everything. Live at the throne. The blood of Jesus has made a way. Hebrews 10, 19 says we are in the presence of God by the blood of Jesus. When I was a younger Christian, they'd say, come on, we got to praise God. we got to keep worshiping until we get, have a breakthrough into the presence of God. We're already in the presence of God. We're already in the presence of God. And guess what? The presence of God is in us. He dwells in our bodies. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us, Amen. not a different Jesus. Well, I'm just repeating things that your pastor sure has told you over the years, but 
sometimes it takes hearing it from a different voice. Number one, we're going to live from the throne. Number two, we're going to live at the throne. You need anything, you go to that throne. When you wake up, you're living from that throne. You already have the victory. When you have a need, go to that throne of his grace. Aren't you glad it's not the throne of judgment? It's the throne of grace. Aren't you glad that Revelation chapter 4 says, and behold, I saw the lamb that was upon the throne. Aren't you glad that he didn't see, that he didn't say, behold, the judge that is on the throne. He said, behold, the lamb that is upon the throne. The lamb is on the throne because mercy rules over judgment. Grace reigns over sin. It's not the throne where a, where a judge sits. It's the lamb. It's the lamb upon the throne. The lamb upon the throne. Because you can always go. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Have you ever heard that verse? That Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. That doesn't mean he's praying for you. It means his entire being is the intercession that stands in the gap between you and the Father. Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection fills the gap between us and the Father. So he ever lives to fill the gap. His entire existence right now is filling the gap so that you can go to the Father about anything, anytime, all the time. We're not going to the Father enough because he's made it available to us and we're, we, we, go to, we go to our friend, hey, can I borrow some money? We go to our parents, hey, can you do this for me? We go to our neighbor, hey, can you help me with this? Like, let's go to the Father. Jesus didn't just come to die for our sins. He did do that, but he came to bring us to the Father. So we can have a really close, intimate relationship with the Father. And it doesn't have to be centered around our sin because the Father washed it away. And Hebrews 8.12 says, and your sins and your iniquities, I will remember no more. If he doesn't remember them anymore, why do we keep reminding him? You know what God's answer is whenever you say, Lord, I just God, forgive me of that sin. And it keeps bothering me. Would you forgive me of that sin? You know what God says about your he says, what sin? He says, what sin? He doesn't remember it. Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. It doesn't say he'll remember them for a little while, and after you feel really bad about it, then he'll remember them no more. He remembers them no more because they've all been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Our sins don't get washed away by our confession. Our sins don't get washed away because we said we're sorry. Our sins got washed away by the blood of Jesus. And all, we do, all we're doing is saying thank you. We're talking about three things right now as we close. We're talking about living from the throne. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. Don't let anybody take your crown. You can live from that throne. You have the victory. Stop listening to the devil say, you need to get the victory. See, religion says you need to get the victory. It sounds almost true. It sounds almost right. There's a difference between right and almost right. It's almost right to say, yes, if you work hard enough, you can get the victory. If you pray enough, you'll get the victory. 
it sounds right, but it's not. The, the truth is, and what's really right is, we have the victory, now we're simply speaking it. We have the victory, now we're just simply waiting to receive it manifested in this earth. It's already ours in heavenly places, and we just bring it down to earthly places with our words. Living from the throne. We live at the throne, number two. That means we go to God anytime, as often as we want. Go to him and just thank him. Go to him and glorify him. Go to him and worship him. Go to him in your time of need and he will, he's not going to say, why didn't you come yesterday? Man, I stopped giving that out yesterday. You should have come yesterday. Then there would have been enough. God never runs out. It's an ever-flowing river of mercy and grace that never runs out. So number one, live from the throne. Number two, live at the throne. And number three, live for the throne. We're living for the glory of God. We're living for the glory of God. Listen, listen to how we can easily glorify God. This is how to glorify God. You start here. In Luke 17, verse 15, ten lepers were cleansed, right? And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorifying God. Verse 16, and he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks, and he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, weren't there not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Weren't there ten cleansed? He says, where are the nine? Is only the one found to return and give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. I want you to see something, how to glorify God. Ten lepers were cleansed, but only one turned back. And when did he turn back? I got to read this to you again in verse 15. And one of them, when he saw... That he was healed. When he saw that he was healed. You know what really glorifies God? When you look at what Jesus has already done for you. And it brings you to your knees. We don't get on our knees to beg God for something. It brings us to our knees when we look and see what God has done. All of them were cleansed. But only one turned back. And when did he turn back? When he saw that he was healed. All of them were healed. But only when the one saw. What are you focused on in your life today? Are you focused on what you don't have? Or are you focused on what you do have? Because when you're focused on what God has already done for you, that makes you thankful. It makes you thankful. And when you're thankful, you're glorifying God. When you're thanking him, ten were cleansed, but only one turned back. Why? Because he saw. He saw. Who knows what the other ones saw? They weren't focused on what Jesus had done for them. They were focused on the next thing they had to do. But the one who glorified God was the one that was focused on what Jesus had done. And he turned back. And with a loud voice, glorify God. Nobody told him, shout a little louder. He did because he saw. Why are we not living for the throne? Because our eyes are not on what Jesus has already done for us. Because if your eyes will be on what he's already done for you, you will glorify him. We get to live from the throne. We already have the victory. We get to live at the throne we can go to him day and night, and we get to live for the throne. 
to bring him glory for all that he has done. Let no one take your crown. Let no one take your crown. Let no one take your crown. Don't let mistakes take your crown. So you blew it, okay? Join the club. So you blew it. Man, I really stumbled. I really fell. I guess I got to give back the crown. Let no one take your crown. Even your mistakes cannot take your crown. Don't let your mistake. Don't disqualify yourself because of your mistakes. Don't say, well, I gotta, I don't, I'm not worthy of this here. I, I blew it. I really made a bad mistake. No. Don't even let yourself take your crown off. Condemnation and guilt and shame. That's from the devil. Don't be shamed into putting your crown away. Don't be shamed into thinking that you're not deserving of it. Jesus gave it to you. You didn't crown yourself. He crowned you. You didn't crown yourself. This was his idea. Jesus crowned you. So our mistakes try to make us take our crown off. Discouragement. Man, this isn't working. When is this going to work? Discouragement tries to take our crown. I'm really discouraged. I'm going to put my crown away. I'm so discouraged. I can't. No, well, you got to encourage yourself in the Lord. you got to speak to yourself. Build yourself up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, speaking to yourself, declaring to yourself, no, I'm not, I'm not, even though I'm discouraged, I'm going to keep going. I'm going to encourage myself in God. I'm going to encourage myself. I'm not waiting for somebody else to encourage me. I'm going to encourage myself. I'm going to look in the mirror and say, you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. You're blessed coming in. You're blessed going out. You're more than a conqueror through him that loved us. You, can, you looking in the mirror, you can do all things to Christ which strengthens you. You know what you're doing? Encouraging yourself. So don't let discouragement rob you of that crown. You stumbled. You fell. You, your prayer didn't get answered yet. Stop beating yourself up and taking your crown off. Keep your crown on. And then there's going to be people. Mistakes are going to try to take your crown. Discouragement's going to try to take your crown. And then people are going to try to take your crown. You know, your pastor and I were talking earlier, and he's like, you know, back, in, you know, back a while ago, God was speaking to me to draw closer to him and I had to just say no to some of my friends. I had to just say no to some of the things that I was used to doing. I had to stop hanging around certain people. We all have that in our life happen, that we can't let anybody influence us who are not, who are not wearing their crown, and they want to get you to take yours off because they don't want to straighten theirs on. And if they would just straighten theirs, then they wouldn't try to pull yours down. So you got to realize there are some people that you need to let go of in your life Pray for them and believe for them. It doesn't make you better than them, but you can't allow people to influence you and rob you of your crown with their naysaying and their hate and their negativity. Don't let people on Instagram take your crown off. Don't let people on Twitter take your crown off. People are haters online because they can hide behind their online fake name. And then they start hating on something you've done. When you're doing something for God, people are going to come against that. Don't let people rob you of your crown. Don't let them take your crown off. Your crown is too important. Your crown matters too much. Your crown has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. No one's getting it. Not my mistakes, not discouragement, not any other person. Not my husband, not my wife, not my child, not my parent, not my friend, not my neighbor, nobody, no church members, nobody's taking my crown. I'm not taking my crown off for anybody. Well, why, why, don't you just act like, why do you always act like you're the head and not the tail? Because that's what God made us. Nobody gets to take that from you. 
That's your crown. Jesus paid in blood to make you royal. Remember, your crown is your royalty, your authority, your dignity, your prosperity. It's all those things. No one is taking your crown. Let no one take your crown. Let no one take your crown. Let no one take your crown. 